millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, as promised, folks, we are back with a midweek podcast, but frankly, even if we hadn't promised a midweek podcast, we would be back because as you very well might have noticed, news has broken in the tennis world in the last couple of days. News in the form of a Vogue article. It's not often we get to, to break news via Vogue. Uh, but here we are, or rather here is Serena Williams uh, writing a piece uh, for the cover story of uh, the September issue of Vogue entitled Serena's Farewell to Tennis in Her Own Words. Um, I am going to read some extracts from it to, to set the scene, um, but I do strongly encourage you to, to, to go and read the piece. It's It's free to read online and it's incredibly powerful and somehow incredibly insightful about a woman that we've all known for 25 years to some degree and yet I feel like I learned so much about her from this Vogue article and I'm sure you'll feel the same if you get the chance to read it. On the subject of of stepping away from the sport in which she's won 23 major titles she says the following I have never liked the word retirement it doesn't feel like a modern word to me I've been thinking of this as a transition but I want to be sensitive about how I use that word, which means something very specific and important to a community of people. Maybe the best word to describe what I'm up to is evolution. I'm here to tell you that I'm evolving away from tennis toward other things that are important to me. A few years ago, I quietly started Serena Ventures, a venture capital firm. Soon after that, I started a family. I want to grow that family. But I've been reluctant to admit to myself or to anyone else that I have to move on from playing tennis. Alexis, my husband, and I have hardly talked about it. It's like a taboo topic. I can't even have this conversation with my mum and dad. It's like it's not real until you say it out loud. It comes up, I get an uncomfortable lump in my throat, and I start to cry. The only person I've really gone there with is my therapist. One thing I'm not going to do is sugarcoat this. I know that a lot of people are excited about and look forward to retiring, and I really wish I felt that way. Ashley Barty was number one in the world when she left the sport this March, and I believe she really felt ready to move on. Caroline Wozniacki, who's one of my best friends, felt a sense of relief when she retired in 2020. Praise to these people, but I'm going to be honest. There is no happiness in this topic for me. I know it's not the usual thing to say, but I feel a great deal of pain. It's the hardest thing that I could ever imagine. I hate it. I hate that I have to be at this crossroads. I keep saying to myself, I wish it could be easy for me, but it's not. I'm torn. I don't want it to be over, but at the same time, I'm ready for what's next. Um, there's lots more that she talks about in the article, and we'll we'll touch upon all of that as well, but I just want to to pause there to to get some initial reaction because I found all of that so incredibly powerful and it evoked a lot of emotion in me reading that. I feel relief 
how hard she's finding it to leave the sport. I don't, I, I'm not pleased that she's in this pain and torment. Obviously, I'm I'm not a total sadist, I like to think. But I'm also relieved that it's a wrench for her to leave this sport, that she still loves it that much, that it's it's this difficult and painful for her to leave. I feel some relief in that because there's quite a lot of lazy analysis about Serena Williams, or there has been over the years, of sort of, oh, she's got all these other interests, you know, I think her commitment to and love for tennis will, will wane. I mean, people have been predicting that for for 10 and 10 to 15 years haven't they and yeah okay maybe she's she's put her eyes on other things over the past few years but that has not diminished clearly the the fire that burns inside her for for the sport yeah um and I think my reaction to it was one of surprise not that she wrote this piece, not that it was in vogue. I, mean, I remember Maria Sharapova announced her retirement in vogue as well. Um, and I'm not surprised that she's announced that the end is is nigh for her tennis playing career or that it will come at the US Open. But uh, I was surprised at the the honesty, the the candor in which she, she described how she was feeling about this process. And I, I was pleased that, that she did too. I was really overwhelmed by hearing how hard this is for her how sad she is how I mean that must that must take some doing to to share that with us all because I'm I'm not surprised that she feels that way knowing how tenacious she has is as a competitor how much of a perfectionist she is how much she's she's being proving to us that she's the greatest player ever in my opinion for all these years and and how much she's been trying to get that final number on the board so that nobody can argue with it anymore. Um, But to lay it all out there for everybody in her kind of retirement speech, effectively, is, is something that I don't think I've seen before from anybody who's, who's announced their retirement. And, and look, it's a very individual thing announcing your retirement when you're a great champion. And I, and I, I suppose I'm old enough now to have seen a lot of players come into the scene as young players and uh and then leave the sport whatever it might be 10 15 20 years later and i i, I always feel quite emotional about it in different ways depending on who it is pete sampras was my hero he, he 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 retired at 31 at the us open andre agassi sort of eked out more from his career than i think we ever expected to a bit like serena in a way uh, got to 36 and then and then announced and his body just couldn't handle it anymore andy roddick sort of walked away when he could have carried on he'd got more in him but he didn't want to do it unless he was at the top anymore and i think the contrast with her being a female champion is that she's experiencing something here that none of those men could experience, could know what it's like to have to wrestle with, to have to face down as somebody who's thinking, well, I can't look at it the way you can if if I want to have what I, what I want in life aside from in tennis, and that's to, to grow my family, having already won one Grand Slam whilst two months pregnant. You know, it's 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 really opened my eyes again. I feel like uh, the sport of tennis and knowing you in particular, Catherine, and, and hopefully growing up a bit along the way has taught me a lot about what women experience as opposed to what I might or, or to, to what other male athletes that I might judge on an equal playing field have. And, and she's... She's opened my eyes on another one here. And I, I think it's it's really powerful, to use that word again, that she wrote about it in this particular piece. Have there ever been two more contrasting retirements in the same year than Ash Barty and Serena Williams, Matt? I mean, it's, it's interesting that she references that and how unique a, an experience retirement is. But my, <laughs> my goodness me, it's... It's crazy how different those two retirement contexts are, I suppose. Yeah, that's right. And I think I've been I've been thinking about Ash Barty's retirement this week again, I guess, in the context of Serena's. And in a way, Ash Barty 
in this very moment was kind of a bigger loss to the tennis world, you know, in terms of week in, week out. Um, she was the current world number one, whereas, whereas Serena has hardly played for a year. And, you know, of course, we miss Ash Barty. We really, really do. And yet we've spoken a lot about how incredible it is that someone has stepped into that void already. You know, Iga Sviantek has has done that this year. I still think the tour would be richer if Ash Barty was still there. But we we now have a, a dominant world number one again. And it and we've kind of moved on, I suppose, even in just the last few months from Barty while still missing her. Serena is an entirely different thing. You know, there is no one who can replace Serena Williams at all, ever. I mean, there never will be. It is... It is a hole that she leaves in the sport that is so enormous. And I think that was kind of my big reaction, really, because, you know, we knew this. We knew this was coming. Of course we did. This is the podcast we knew we were going to have to record at some point. But it's a podcast none of us really wanted to have to record. And yet that that only took away the surprise. It didn't take away the sort of shock of it. You know, I'm... I'm 26. I have never known tennis without Serena Williams. And that will be true of anyone my age, anyone about five years older than me, anyone who's become a fan of this sport in the last 20 years will not have known it without Serena Williams. And there's always been this possibility, even when she was away from the sport, that she would come back. We always had her to think about as a tennis player, involve her in the conversation. And this this announcement took that possibility away and made it a bit more finite. And that was just something to come to terms with, you know. She's been such a presence in everyone's lives. It's, yeah, it's it's really something. And, and yet what it does do is give us a three-week stretch here to celebrate Serena Williams. And I felt that watching her last night, I stayed up to watch her match in Toronto, and it was a celebration. And... Serena Williams has always been an event. She's been a show that you want to watch and do not miss. And it feels like now more than ever that she is an event. You, It's, it's a three-week celebration of Serena Williams and no one wants to miss it. It does feel like a gift that she's given us, doesn't it? Mm. Telling us that this is the end. And I know some people have interpreted that the wording in that Vogue piece is leaving the door open. I personally did not read it that way at all I think she's uncomfortable with the finality of the word retirement um, but it it definitely does seem like this is the end to me and the intended end point while she doesn't specify this year's US Open that is the very strong impression I get and it feels like a gift that she's given us this sort of three week maybe four week long Serena party Um but I think it's for all those reasons that you've said, Matt, that actually I didn't assume that we would be recording this podcast because I didn't think she would ever tell us that it was the end. And therefore, I didn't think we'd ever have to really brutally reckon with it being the end. It would just sort of suddenly be 10 years from now and we'd notice that Serena Williams <laughs> hadn't played a tournament in nine years and we'd sort of go, oh, I, sp- I suppose she's probably not coming back now. Um, but the fact that she's announced us and told us has forced us and certainly forced me, somebody who, um, as my therapist would say, is not great at dealing with endings. Um, it, it's, it's forced us to deal with it. And obviously, and, and that's mirrored in what Serena's said about her own experience, you know, being forced to to confront it and and not be in denial anymore i think i've been in denial you know because while while it's not final there's always the chance that she could go oh i've taken a, a wild card into insert obscure tournament's name here <laughs> Lexington. I, I didn't want to, i know i didn't i didn't <laughs> want to throw a tournament under the bus i've done too much slagging off kitchbill recently miscellaneous small tournament here you know there's always the possibility and while there's possibility you don't have to confront it do you but she's she's made herself and all of us confront what a serena-less tennis world looks like and it's exactly the same as you matt i'm not as young as you but she's been there my whole tennis watching life hmm. lintz 
canal for um i do you know i was gonna <laughs> say lintz and i thought that's it's harsh on lintz it's was Austria, it lintz coco again. goff's first title it was yeah I, who go. i'm watching at Big the moment actually um, um <laughs> just uh, just on um on that i i think that she probably has had a real a real time getting to this point because she I can believe that that might have been part of the plan was to just walk away and quietly do so she'd kind of intimated that hasn't she in the past and I think she she wrestles with these two contrasting versions of herself the one who who watching that match last night did look uncomfortable at times in the aftermath of the defeat and all the 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 palaver that was going on and the tournament doing their very best to show their love for her it is exhausting and it is a bit awkward sometimes when these tournaments are lavishing words of praise on you and and I think that the and she was struggling to kind of keep her composure and hold it together in a way that I think she's desperate to on one level and yet there's another side to her which is really theatrical and an amazing person of the moment who who will stop people in their tracks to watch and listen and feel things and so look she's she's all of that and it's it, it's wonderful i think i i also think that just in terms of her career generally i've 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 been keen to to not forget some of the poor behavior that i've seen from her on court and in directed it in officialdom but i I am. I kind of feel able more to reconcile it now. Hearing, reading that piece, thinking about who she is as a perfectionist, as a as a somebody who just desperately wanted to to win and and couldn't handle it, you know. And a lot of players can't handle it in the moment, and and it leads to abominable behaviour at times. But um, I, I'm glad she's doing this. I'm glad that there is a, a few weeks for her, for everybody who's in, who's interested in tennis, for the for the good of the sport generally. Because going on the front cover of Vogue brings people in. Having this this farewell selection of tournaments brings people into the sport, which is what she's been all about all along. And uh, yeah, I think we're we're going to have a lot of uh, a lot of emotion to deal with over the next few weeks. Yes, I feel like I've been thinking about what what that moment will be at the US Open with obviously Joe Wilfred Songa, this is your life at Roland Garros as <laughs> as the bar here. You know, they've got to clear that and that's quite a high bar. That was Oh, that was a bar of there was a army of about 40 people wearing Joe Wilfred Songa custom made t-shirts. Yeah, it's got it's to a be high bar. it's got to be 23 times that, I would say. I want everyone inside the Arthur Ashe Stadium wearing a Serena Williams <laughs> T-shirt. Yeah, it's got to be a goat bar, mm. hasn't it? She, she, she says in this piece, she talks about, there are people who say I'm not the goat because I didn't pass Margaret Court's record of 24 Grand Slam titles, which she achieved before the Open Era that began in 1968. I'd be lying if I said I didn't want that record. Obviously, I do. But day to day, I'm really not thinking about her. If I'm in a Grand Slam final, then yes, I'm thinking about that record. Maybe I thought about it too much and that didn't help. The way I see it, I should have had 30 plus Grand Slams. I had my chances after coming back from giving birth. I went from a C-section to a second pulmonary embolism to a Grand Slam final. I played while breastfeeding. I played through postpartum depression, but I didn't get there. Shoulda, woulda, coulda. I didn't show up the way I should have or could have, but I showed up 23 times, and that's fine. Actually, it's extraordinary. But these days, if I have to choose between building my tennis resume and building my family, I choose the latter. And I hope and I I think that with some time, we will reflect on those four Grand Slam finals she reached after giving birth to Olympia quite differently to how we reflected on them at the time. At the time, and even now, just as just as Serena has just described, they felt like missed opportunities to get to 24 because it was all about 24. I think with some reflection, we'll look at it as she reached four Grand Slam finals after not only a pregnancy, but an incredibly traumatic cesarean birth during which she nearly died. I mean, her abdominal muscles were ripped apart 
and she came back and reached four Grand Slam titles and uh, finals. And as she revealed, there, you know, was breastfeeding and experiencing postpartum depression as well, and that is unreal. Um, she she talked about her legacy. She said, I don't particularly like to think about my legacy. I get asked about it a lot and I never know exactly what to say. But I'd like to think that thanks to opportunities afforded to me, women athletes feel that they can be themselves on court. They can play with aggression and pump their fists. They can be strong yet beautiful. They can wear what they want and say what they want and kick butt and be proud of it all. I've made a lot of mistakes in my career. Mistakes are learning experiences. And I embrace those moments. I'm far from perfect, but I've also taken a lot of criticism. And I'd like to think that I went through some hard times as a professional tennis player so that the next generation could have it easier. Over the years, I hope that people come to think of me as symbolising something bigger than tennis. I admire Billie Jean. I think she means king, not the dog, but she doesn't specify, so we might never know. Um <laughs> She says, I admire Billie Jean because she transcended her sport. I'd like it to be Serena is this and she's that. And she was a great tennis player and she won those slams. Um, And that got me emotional too, because I really think that Serena has changed, forced us to change. uh, And by us, I mean the world to change the way we perceive female athletes and how we value them. Um, there's still a ways to go. There is still far too much emphasis on the aesthetic and on traditional ideas of, of femininity designed um, as designated by the patriarchy. But by through her struggle of confronting just a grotesque slew of body shaming sexist racist body shaming throughout throughout her career but in particular at the start um she has changed the world a little bit by through that struggle she's made that struggle a bit less for those coming up behind her and i i just think that can't be underestimated and there's still you know I looked at some of the comments on the Vogue post, which I know you should just never look at comments. I do know that. But anyway, I looked and there's so much hate about the fact that the the cover photo is airbrushed. Um, folks, every single photo you have ever looked at in any magazine or print publication, or certainly magazine publication, since the invention of airbrushing, was airbrushed. Don't hate the player, hate the game. And I do hate that game, by the way. Publications should have to declare airbrushing. It is setting unrealistic beauty standards for women and men, but largely women. Anyway, but that's a separate podcast. Uh, Basically... Definitely don't hate on Serena for that. Yeah, and I think that paragraph you just read out really spoke to me as well because, in a way, I've always found Serena one of the hardest players to talk about. You know, I want to get it right about Serena, and yet I'm not American, I'm not a woman, and I'm not black. And those three things are so fundamental to who Serena is and what she means and understanding her her place in tennis, in sport, in society. Um, and I think one of the most extraordinary things about Serena is that she achieved all that she has in a sport which is traditionally very white, which didn't which didn't embrace her at several points throughout her career. And simply by her being black, by her being confident, by her looking physically different to to other players, by being successful, you know, just all of those things offended people. She was seen as a sort of threat and issues about race and gender were always raised and drama was never far around the corner. And... I just always felt how how exhausting it must be for her to, you know, that weight, just simply being herself 
would constantly throw up all these aggressions towards her. You know, and there's there's some high profile stuff like the president of the Russian Tennis Federation referring to her and Venus as the as the brothers. Um, there's obviously the booing and the racial abuse that was heard at Indian Wells and led to her boycotting that tournament for so many years. There was her father being accused of fixing matches, you know, all of these things. And in the face of all that, Serena still pumped her fish. She still showed her rage on court. She still jumped for joy. And therefore, she changed the way people talk about female athletes, black athletes, black female athletes. And that is so, so powerful. And that is probably the thing I admire most about her, really. And in any conversation about the GOAT debate, there's the there's the internal impact on the sport, titles, records. Serena's side holds up really well, of course. We know all about that. But there's also that external impact, and Serena had that as well. And she also raised the global profile of the game and took it beyond tennis. And I think she will be looked back on for both of those two things, what she did in the sport and also the way, as you said, black female athletes, female athletes are perceived. She's so important. Last extract from the Vogue piece that I I want to end this segment on because I think it'll just get us all extra pumped for the Serena party that's coming our way over the next few weeks. She says... Unfortunately, I wasn't ready to win Wimbledon this year and I don't know if I'll be ready to win New York, but I'm going to try. And the lead-up tournaments will be fun. I know there's a fan fantasy that I might have tied Margaret that day in London, then maybe beat her record in New York and then at the trophy ceremony say, see ya. I get that. It's a good fantasy. But I'm not looking for some ceremonial ceremonial final on-court moment. I'm terrible at goodbyes the world's worst but please know that I'm more grateful for you than I can ever express in words you have carried me to so many wins and so many trophies I'm going to miss that version of me that girl who played tennis and I'm going to miss you all I'm gonna say on the fantasy thing folks is that and p.s. don't at me this is not a prediction but Serena winning the US Open this year is significantly less improbable than Emma Raducanu winning it last year. <laughs> and with that, the hype train gets a rolling. I agree. David's been putting things in our WhatsApp group like, I think Serena's going to go on a run. Yeah, extremely vague references <laughs> to a run or a big moment. Is she going to take our breath away one last time, yeah. David? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think back to Andre Agassi in 2006 who had that incredible match against Marcus Bagdatis and and I, I hope for something similar for Serena at the very least, that she has an amazing match that she can roll back the years and play the greatest hits in a match that makes us all remember um, what what she was able to do, what she brought to the sport. Um, I don't think we're going to see the same tennis because I think it's very easy to forget just how great a tennis player she was forget uh, forget everything else for a second this woman was an incredible tennis player who just destroyed everybody and um but I but I hope that there are moments um and I think it is possible if she could win a couple you know, if she got, if she needs a decent draw, I think. I mean, watching her against Belinda Bencic last night made me think, what an awful draw this is for her because Bencic is so clever. It puts you off balance, diverts your power back onto you. But there are certain players, and look, there are a lot of tough draws in women's tennis right now, but there are some where she could just tee off and overwhelm. And if she could have a couple of those and get into the tournament... I think something um, certainly, certainly a, an, a, an epic match where she maybe knocks out somebody big, like a a top five seed, is is absolutely possible and an appearance in the second week. Oh, he sort of put a put a a round on it, ish. Second week is still quite vague, though, David. I'm not going to press you now. Uh, But I'm just going to say that I know we've had some exciting draw days uh, of late, Grand Slam draw days, because there have been exciting 
unseeded lurkers in draws, but can you imagine the feverish anticipation of the women's draw at the US Open this year on Thursday, the 25th of August, the very same day that we arrive in New York City? I am, I am already feverish myself. And P.S., uh, the US Open um, announced, didn't they, that they had had the most extraordinary surge in ticket sales uh, off the back of Serena's announcement. I mean, they they don't even know when she'll be playing her first match and it's like everybody's just bought every ticket available just on the off chance <laughs> that Serena might be playing in that session. It's it's amazing. And uh, it's it's going to be so exciting and we can't wait. And maybe she will take our breath away one more time. She wasn't able to last night, as uh, as you said, Matt. She lost out after winning her opening round match to Parisa's Diaz, 6-3, 6-4. She lost to Belinda Bencic last night in, in Toronto, 6-2, 6-4. Bencic now plays Garbina Muguruza in the round of 16, who, folks has won two tennis match. No, sorry, she got a bye in the first round. Has won one tennis match. <laughs> two sets. Still noteworthy. <laughs> Does feel it, it, noteworthy, doesn't it? It, it shouldn't, yeah. but I mean, she beat, she's... Well, she beat the Washington finalist, Kai Kanepi, four and four. That's Kanepi had just... Well, I mean, she, she beat an injured Naomi Osaka in the opening round. Unfortunately, Osaka... Retired injured, training a set and three love to Kanepi. But a, a win is big for Muguruza. Yeah, especially if you're talking about laying it all out, how you're feeling. That that press conference she gave not so long ago where she just said, I just don't know what to do. I'm doing all the things you're supposed to do. And here she is, one of those players that Andy Roddick talks about with experience, but no form and no confidence. And she cannot figure out the the solutions and you just need it's like the 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 football player who's on a a barren spell in front of goal and just needs one to go in off the knee and and Gabini Magarutha mm-hmm. got herself a win against Kaya Kanepi and I I didn't watch the match for all I know Kaya Kanepi hit 158 unforced errors but the fact is she won a match and uh, and maybe that maybe that will be a big difference maker for her. Just on that Kanepi win over over an injured Osaka, I watched that match on replay. Matt, you watched it as well. It was, it was a really sad sight, wasn't it, seeing Osaka just unable to compete physically. Um, it's not good, is it, at this distance out from the US Open? That, that didn't look good to me. Have you got any reasons to be cheerful? I was quite cheerful about Osaka on Monday, wasn't I? In fact, I think I said she looks mm. fit, and that, that didn't age well. Um, it was sad. It, it was her back that she was getting treatment for. Um, and I think worth saying as well, it, it must have been quite a tough day for Osaka. You know, we know how much Osaka looks up to Serena Williams. She played on, on the day when Serena Williams' Vogue piece came out. Um, I think she tweeted after the match something like, this has just been a really, really bad day. Tough for Osaka, because she was playing well, I thought. You know, shocking news, tennis player hits the ball well, but she was. and um, But she, she just couldn't move, especially at the start of that second set, and, and had to pull out. And yeah, just a couple of weeks out from the US Open, it's not good. And, you know, kind of like she had that injury earlier on in the year, it kind of lingered and just sort of took out that whole clay court season that she'd been so enthusiastic about trying to figure out. One little injury sort of took it all out and I would hate for that to be the case here, which is usually her her best time of year. Other round of 16 matches that we have got in Toronto include Simona Halep against Jill Teichman. Teichman took out Venus Williams two and three. In the opening round, we have Coco Goff against Arena Sabalenka. That match is currently in progress. Looks like Coco Goff is going to win. 7-5-3-2. Really hope that doesn't go out of date. She was three love up. Uh, oh. <laughs> oh, that's a shame. Uh, can we talk about Goff Rabatkina, please? One of the matches of the year, I think. 7-6 in the third to Coco Goff yesterday. 
Yeah, it was brilliant. Um, I I just I I was properly double screening over dinner with the kids, and uh, that was one of the two matches I was watching. With the other one being Carlos Alcaraz against uh, Tommy Paul, but the eye just kept getting drawn to Goff and Rebecca. But I think it's it's um amplified now because Rebecca is Wimbledon champion. It's also amplified by the fact that she's wearing that Adidas outfit. That oh my word, that that is mm-hmm. awful. Uh, Catherine, you drew my attention to that. It is a, a, a howler of an outfit, I think. Now, it looks like somebody's attacked the players with a, a bunch of paintbrushes. Anyway, um, but it's a, it was a brilliant tennis match, and, and Goff was leading by a set. She had four match points in the second set tiebreak, and uh, Rebecca got it back into a third set. It went all the way, and both players just came out of it. I, I don't know how Rebecca feels, but it felt like a win for her as well in a way because she she nearly rescued it and she she doesn't always feel like she plays that well in some of these tournaments and and now she's starting to look the part she looks like a champion and yet goff looks like she's gone to another level as well mm. um she's so tenacious and she's such a good athlete and the forehand seemed a lot more reliable to me than it has of late she's she's blooming and um I I just I keep on picking Coco Golf to reach finals and win things, and I think I'm just going to carry on because it's going to happen. Oh, like me and Bedosa. <laughs> mm. I don't think there are many mentally stronger players than Golf at the moment. You know that that recovery after after dropping that second set, and you know mm. maybe you could say it wasn't mentally tough that. She did kind of blow it on three of those four match points. I think she made errors. She probably should have taken it there. But given that she didn't, to then recover in that second set, uh, in that third set, plays so well, I thought just showed showed how tough she is and how, how, how difficult she is to beat at the moment. I still, I still think game-wise, you know, I know the forehand is holding up. There have been quite a lot of double faults today. There are still these little holes that she can improve, I think. But just from a you know from a competing level she is right there at the top i think at the moment yulia putin saver faces alison risk arbitrage putin saver beat bedossa that was a retirement from from bedossa yesterday that's uh, that's a tough one for bedossa felt like she was coming into some form so putin saver against risk arbitrage who beat uh, Elena Ostapenko in an extremely Elena Ostapenko y scoreline. It was 7 6, love 6, 7 5. <laughs> so, plus ça change. Uh, Jessica Pagula will face the defending champion Camilla Georgie, round of 16. Bianca Andrescu up against Zhang Chin Wen. I'm, I'm here for it. I'm, mm. I'm here for what Andrescu's doing. This week, 6-3 in the third over uh, Drama Queen for the People, Elise Cornet last night and in the opening round 7-6-6-4 over the San Jose champion Daria Kazakina where she was a, a bit of a Drama Queen for the People herself. Yeah, another great match. Uh, the, 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 I know that was straight sets but Kazakina coming off a title last week and Gave a frosty handshake to Andrescu at the end and uh, Andrescu visited by the trainer a couple of times and at a couple of awkward moments really, timings wise, one I think 2-1 in the tie break and, um, but she was not feeling well. And and it's it's really difficult, isn't it? What, what, what's supposed to happen? If you're not feeling well, if you're feeling terrible, what are you supposed to do? Just carry on. I don't know. I don't know what you're supposed to do. I understand Kasekina maybe getting frustrated, being held up and all the rest of it. Um, but I also think if I'm not feeling well, I'm probably just going to have to find out if I can make it better somehow or if I can have a rest for a bit. And um, But just putting that aside... Her tennis looks really, really good. And, and she's another one. We're talking about Serena getting a couple of wins. If if Andrescu could just get a few wins, just a few matches, you know, the, the form could come because the, the pedigree, the ability is there. We know it's there from three years ago. Yeah, I've been really impressed with her tennis this week. I can I can see her growing in confidence. The conviction on her shots, her backhand has been such a weapon. 
Um, she and she's she seems to be finding the right balance with with variety, not overusing it, but you know picking the right times to to slice both the forehand and the backhand. She seems to be trusting her instincts again and it's not baked in yet you know it's still at the fragile stages of of confidence but I can see it coming if she can just keep the role going I think it could be quite powerful but look we know uh, we know how talented Jung is and uh, I'll be staying up for that match later on today we've got Karolina Pliskova against Maria Sakkari uh, Benchich Muguruza we discussed and Iga Sviontek in the round of 16, David. P.S. She demolished Isla Tomljanovic 6-1-6-2 in her opener. Sviontek uh, faces Beatrice Haddad Meyer. Oh, welcome back. Which you wouldn't care about because you've dropped her like a hot potato. Well, you know, I'm d- maybe I can have some sort of residual credit at this point. Hmm. Mm. <laughs> well, she beat Leila Fernandez. I'd say that's quite a good win. Seven six six one over it Fernandez. Is. It mm. is, uh, and uh, actually, I'm just, I am quite looking forward to watching her just to see what she's like because I sort of picked her to win Wimbledon on the basis of results that I didn't actually watch. So, um, um, you know, these are, these are more good results, and I'm looking forward to discovering what sort of player let me down at Wimbledon. Well, you can watch her face Fiontech, and you can find out. Who, uh, as seeing as we're at the halfway stage, I'm going to go in here for some predictions. Who's going to win? Toronto. Well, my pick is still in, so I'm going to stick with it. Who's Simona Halep. To be honest, the, re- the only reason I picked her is because she was in the other half of the draw to where all the, all the big names were. And I just sometimes like a player sneaking through that. And she's won in Canada before... Um, she's looked good in her first two matches. She's beaten Donna Vekic and Zhang Shui without without too much fuss. Um, but if I, you know, I also did that for points, predictions, points. If I was being logical, Igor Sviontek starting the tournament like that, that sends a message to me. I feel like she's here to remind everyone that she's the world number one. David, anyone beating Sviontek this week? Well, I've, I mean, I was going to say Coco Goff, but unlike Matt, I haven't really figured out which half of the job she's in. So, but the fact, fact that she beat Rebecca and is now seven five four two up in soon-to-be-out-to-date tennis news uh, against Irina Sabalenka, I think she's playing exceptional stuff, and uh, I'm going to go with her anyway, regardless. Okay. I agree with both of you. One of, one of, one of Sviontek or Goff. Maybe Andrescu. There you go. There's a punchy prediction for you. (laughs) Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hello, tennis podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking. And I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com tennis. 
That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Over to Montreal we go, where interesting things have been happening in Montreal. Um, Matt, you said on WhatsApp earlier that you're really intrigued by the Montreal draw at this halfway stage. Pray, pray tell, explain. Well, I think on paper, it's it's probably lacking something, you know, and that would be because, well, yesterday, wasn't it? The top three seeds, Medvedev, Alcaraz and Tsitsipas, I'm sure we'll talk about all of their matches, but they all lost, um, which means that this is the first time at an ATP Masters 1000 event that the top three seeds have all lost their opening match since Indian Wells in 1999. We're, we're kind of you know, in unprecedented territory here, certainly in recent memory, and also Andre Rublev lost. So a lot of the big names are gone. And yet, I just think the names that are left, you've got a lot of intriguing players there who haven't won at this level. And I'm talking about Sinner. I'm talking about Kyrgios. I'm talking about Tommy Paul. I'm talking Felix Auger-Aliassim, Alex Dumanor. It just feels like a big moment for all of those. And then there's... Cameron Norrie, can he win another one? There's Taylor Fritz, can he win another one? Hercatch, you know, there's there's a real opportunity, I think, for a lot of players. And going into the US Open, which I probably see, given that we don't think Djokovic is going to be playing, and there are, you know, there has to be question marks about Rafa Nadal's fitness, just because we've seen him get injured a lot this year. His body is breaking down. It feels like a very open US Open to me and, and whoever wins this tournament from here I just think will nudge themselves up in that conversation in terms of going into that tournament so I think it's I think it's intriguing even though it is probably lacking that real star power there are there are three results from the last round of matches that stand out and that's Tommy Paul beating Carlos Alcaraz 6-3 in the third uh, Jack Draper beating Stefanos Tsitsipas 7-5 Seven six, and Nick Kyrgios beating Daniil Medvedev six seven six four six two. I think between us, we've we've watched all of that smorgasbord of tennis. Should we start with Alcaraz losing, or rather Tommy Paul winning? This match was fantastically entertaining. Yeah, it was. Uh, and uh, I mean, and it was seven six four one to Alcaraz, and he lost from there. Or if you prefer, Tommy Paul launched an incredible fight back. And I do think Paul was superb. And I think he's... I I reckon he's he's maybe watched the matches that Yannick Sinner played against Alcaraz. I don't have any evidence of that. Uh, I thought that. I thought that, But just yeah. the way he was going about it, he felt way more aggressive to me than I've seen him in the past. And it felt like he was trying to half-folly stuff, take things early to take time away from Alcaraz, to stop Alcaraz having the chance to set and and really tee off and dominate. And and it seems that there's a bit of a, a blueprint there that you can you can divert Alcaraz's power, you can you can move him around in a way that he's having to come up with just casino shots in order to win some rallies from where he is in the court. And uh I, I don't know whether that's just maybe a confidence thing because obviously Alcaraz won Miami and he beat really, really good players in order to do so. But there's a difference in recent weeks and Sinner, Sinner did it by being able to take the ball incredibly early and hit darting shots at him before and they were on him before he could even react properly. And, and I think Tommy Paul did the same. Carlos Alcaraz did a did a social media post after the match, Matt, saying it was the first time that I couldn't handle the pressure. I have to be ready to have this pressure, to have these kind of moments, and to learn how to handle it. Fist, fist, clench emoji. Mm. Yeah, very, very honest, I suppose. Um, David pointed out that maybe Hugo Gaston has got his got his hand up saying, I'm not sure you handled the pressure against me in, in <laughs> Bercy last year all that well. Um, but I think it does speak to where Alcaraz is at the moment. And I've actually felt like Tommy Paul gave a really interesting quote afterwards, where he said that he is extra motivated when he plays a guy like Alcaraz, because 
Alcaraz isn't, he's not at the level of Nadal and Djokovic yet where people are stepping on the court against him with no belief. You know, I think a lot of the time the big three have won matches kind of before they've even started because of their aura and their presence. At the moment, Alcaraz is a target and he's he's made himself a target by being so good, so young. You know, um, there was that comment from Medvedev, wasn't there? The famous Carlos Alcaraz. It was a great line, but it was also mm. indic- it told you what the other players feel about it. You know, that they, they want a piece of that. They want to beat the guy who everyone is saying is the next big thing. And I think Sinners probably felt some of that. Mosetti felt some of that similar age group. Paul isn't that much older. He probably thinks that as well. And... Paul was amazing. He was absolutely brilliant. He's he's had some big wins on hard court b- before. This is the biggest. And um, yeah, he's he's got Chris Everett's seal of approval. I noticed she tweeted, when did Tommy Paul get so good? Which uh, <laughs> I, I really love the thought of of her watching that and, you know, being amazed by it. She's right, though. He's so improved. Such a better tennis player than he was even six months ago. I think he he's really starting to look the business now, and I, I loved that match against Alcaraz. So impressive, and he he is coming out with some great lines. Tommy Paul of tennis players are weird. Quote fame. <laughs> that's that's an all timer. Uh, what else did I mention? Jack Draper beating Stefano Tsitsipas last night to make it through to the round of sixteen. He'll face Gelman Feast later on today. He's He's starting to to turn up and be a be a name. In, I was going to say in the mix. I don't mean the the mix. I don't mean our mix. I don't mean winning the U.S. Open mix. But you know, he's a proper tour pro. Sounds really sort of damning by faint praise, doesn't it? But I don't. Know, he's 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 just proper, isn't he? I I love watching him play tennis. And what I loved about the win over Sitsipas was. Sitsipas did not play his best. It was inconsistent, massively inconsistent. He's doing that thing on serve where he's, you know, the Mary Coelho quote, if you haven't used, if your serve requires good footwork, something's going wrong. Um, and something is definitely going wrong for Sitsipas. You know, there's there's stuff to sort out there. And you kind of, you look at his box and you can sort of see Philippousis itching, itching to do stuff. And then you've got Apostolos looming there. And I do just wonder how that dynamic works because it seems pretty clear to me that Apostolos is running that ship and while Mark Philippoussis might be having some impact, I doubt he's able to, you know, properly wrestle the situation and be able to have the full impact that he wants to. But anyway, hugely inconsistent performance from Stefanos Tsitsipas, but he was banking on Jack Draper going away. You know, there were there were... A few occasions where Sitsipas hustled himself back into the match, you know, using his experience and 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 big hitting and presence on the court. And so many young players with Jack Draper's level of experience in these sorts of matches would have just gone away, said, OK, well, I had my opportunity. I was just setting a break up. I've lost it. I'm now a breakdown. He just didn't go away. He's got this... Real self-belief and level head, but also combined with swagger. And it's it's a really heady combination. Yes, that's exactly it. When I first saw Jack Draper and, you know, I think that was probably Wimbledon Juniors, what I remembered is that I I felt like he was flashy. You know, I, I felt like he was the guy who would hit, you know, two great shots and then a load of bad ones. But you would, but you would remember the great ones, and you would remember the way he carried himself on the court. But actually, as he's evolved as a player on the tour, I've been really impressed by how solid he is and patient. You know, Sitsipas was, as you said, peppering that backhand, waiting for it to break down. Draper was just rallying, putting it to a length, being really, really disciplined with it. And then he's also got power when he needs it you know he can he can turn on the flash if he needs it but generally he's 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 molding himself into a really solid player with a great base that he can then use his talents to sort of build on and yeah i'm i'm really impressed with him i think his his rankings inside the top 70 now i think after this mm. week which is a huge leap from from where he was at the start of the year it's been it's been real progress 
Yeah, he's on the cusp of... He's not far away from not having to qualify for, for Masters events, which is which is absolutely massive. Uh, last match from Montreal I wanted to touch upon was Nick Kyrgios's defeat of Daniil Medvedev. You guys both watched this. I managed to miss it. Well done, mate. It's not like I host a tennis podcast or anything. Why would I need to watch what was apparently the match of the year? <laughs> No, it Thanks, wasn't. Twitter but, for letting but, me know what I missed. It was it was good. It was a really good contest. It was a really interesting match. Just to, there was a lot to 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 look out for. It was tactically fascinating to see how Kyrgios approached playing the metronome from from uh, down the other end, and, and who came out playing well. Medvedev and the first set was was a tiebreak set that Medvedev won. And it was really, really nip and tuck until the tie break when you could see Kyrgios lost his focus. And Medvedev just capitalised. It was an easy tie break win for him. And that was the moment where you saw a Kyrgios that I don't think we've seen very often in the past before. He didn't throw his toys. He didn't behave abominably. He knuckled down. He broke immediately. Um, And actually by sort of rallying at length almost for the sake of it in the early parts of the second set to to just see what Medvedev was going to do next and um, and Medvedev kind of broke down a bit and once Kyrgios had got the break right at the start of that second set he has such confidence in that serve that serve is not going to let him down so fine then he can experiment on the return. And, and it reminded me a lot of watching Pete Sampras in his heyday of, I'm going to roll through my service games and then I'm going to get creative on my return uh, against Andre Agassi. Those were the great matchups. And th- there was some similarities here. Obviously, Kyrgios is throwing in a hell of a lot of different looks than Sampras would. He, he's doing the whole the whole thing. He's did two underarm serves. He's doing off-pace shots. He's... He's suddenly charging to the net. He's suddenly injecting incredible pace into shots, and then he's rallying. Um, and it and I think it, he stayed loose throughout. the 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 surprising thing was the way Medvedev went away in the third set that Kyrgios won six two. But that was a that was a big psychological achievement from Kyrgios. I think in terms of his status, his new status in the upper echelons of the sport. Um, it, made you feel as though he, he he actually wants it even maybe more than than I thought uh, to be a, a, a significant figure at the top of the game. Who's going to win? Montreal. Um, this is great radio, well, Sinner. folks. They're both... Sinner, because I picked Sinner to win the tournament. So I'm going to stick with that. But he, do you actually think he's going to win? Yeah, Matt, um, please produce some dynamic radio. I don't think anyone's playing better tennis than Kyrgios. Um, I was a bit worried about his back in that match. You know, he did, he did all of those things mm. despite appearing to have a little bit of physical problems. Um, I struggle to see anyone beating Kyrgios, though. The way he's serving, as, as David said, for Medvedev not to be able to break. You know, he's a world-class returner, and mm. Kyrgios was brilliant. So, uh, you know, if I had to pick at this stage, fitness permitting, I think I would... I would go Kyrgios. Wow, so he's got Dominor next later on today. Ramos Vinulas, Hubert Hercatch uh, in his quarter, and then Rude, Roberto Bautista Rugut, uh, Cameron Norrie, Felix Auger-Aliassime in his half. So that's Montreal with uh, three, four days of competition remaining, both tournaments at the round of 16 stage. We'll be back, of course, on Monday to round up both tournaments and we'll not even look ahead to Cincinnati because Cincinnati uh, will already be underway at that point and I'll be having to gaze at that roller coaster <laughs> wishing I was on it having the adrenaline rush that I so crave ah oh, Kings Island <laughs> anyway that's for Monday and for all of next week what a what a whirlwind of a couple of days with Serena's announcement and everything that's been going on in Canada it really feels like the US Open series is properly in full swing now and I can I can taste the US Open it's it's right on the tip of my tongue I can taste it and maybe you can too because 
in association with Wilson, we are running a US Open tickets competition for two tickets to the US Open day session on Lewis Armstrong Stadium on Tuesday the 6th of September. To enter, you need to be a friend of the podcast. To become a friend, there's a link in our show notes in this podcast. If you're already a friend and want the link to enter the competition, just send us an email at friends at tennispodcast.net. So there's lots of reasons to become a friend of the pod. Our, uh, our, our memory bank, that's not the right term, is it? Our bank full of past uh, Friends-only episodes, all of the Friends-only episodes that are still to come, including two editions of US Open Relived and a special US Open review show and lots of Q&A shows as well. But this, thanks to Wilson, is one extra little reason to become a friend of the pod. We have a mascot this week. It is Frida. Frida is lovely. Kevin Lee adopted Frida from the Humane Society in Minnesota, where she had been brought after living a year as a stray in Texas. Frida is one year old and her hobbies include snuggles, destroying magazines and being perpetually disappointed that she can't get Kevin's two cats to play with her. Um, my question for Kevin, if you'd like to get in touch, is, is Frida named after Frida Kahlo? Would like to know. Uh, anyway, Frida is absolutely beautiful. I do like pictures that people send where their dog has one ear up and one ear down. That is one of my favourite genres of dog photos. So thank you, Kevin, for bringing Frida into our lives. We, of course, have our mascots. David's got Darwin. It's still in the game this week, as are Matt and the dearly departed Gerald. Unfortunately, Carter, Dino Medvedev, the world number one, let us down this week. Uh, Billie Jean is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Ilana Kloss. We have two executive producers. They are both top blokes and they are Chris Albert Lee and Kyle Weingartner. And we have shout outs, Matt. We do. We have Kate Darling. In Astoria, Oregon, USA. Oh, what a name. Like Alice, Alistair Darling, our former Chancellor of the Exchequer. Yeah. Mm. And, uh, and Captain Darling from the Blackadder show. Yes. Mm. Both cultural <laughs> references that Kate probably doesn't understand, what with not being from the United Kingdom. So right, apologies Kate. there, Kate. Uh, there are tennis Kates, aren't they? Kate. 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 Macarova. E. Mc, e. e. McNally. Yeah. Katie Bolter. Yeah. Mm. Slightly Nobody dodgy territory t- here to Kate. Nobody wants to just stick with Kate, do they, in tennis? They want, they want to change it. No. Anyway, Kate, <laughs> you're a one-off and uh, we're very grateful for your support. Thank you. We've also got Trisha Fitzgerald in Castle Pines, Colorado. Whoa. What a place that sounds like. I want to go. <laughs> Does a bit, places in England are never called like Castle Pines, are they? No. It's always Woking. <laughs> Durham. <laughs> Colchester. <Hey. laughs> the, 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 the places are fine, but they're not exotic, sensual no. names, are they? There's, there's, yeah. there's Strawberry Hill. That sounds yeah. like it's trying a bit too hard, though. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Castle Pine sounds great. Trisha, thank you very much. Yeah, Trisha, thanks. And finally today, we've got Sylvia Guidara in Melbourne, Australia. Oh. Right, Sylvia. Well, very Tennessee location. Are there any tennis Sylvias? Sylvia Talaya, the Croatian player of a few years ago. Off he goes. So, Tell us more, that's David. All, or was that all you have? give you. That's You've it. Done for, I can't believe we found was, a Sylvia, but not a Kate. Wasn't there a Sylvia Hanukkah? Sylvia Hanukkah reached the French Open final, I think. Blimey, Matt, that's a good one. As long as it's right. This is, mm. this is a man that compiles a lot of stats, folks. <laughs> and if you would like access to those stats, subscribe to our newsletter. Oh, good. I promised up. I wouldn't plug that anymore because obviously anybody that isn't already a subscriber is just an idiot. A subscriber is an idiot. Um, <laughs> 
But uh, there we go. I've plugged it anyway. And I've slagged off half our listenership in the process. <laughs> Sylvia, thanks ever so much for your support. We'll be back with another pod on Monday. We'll speak to you then. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.